0: Welcome to the Commons cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. We hope that a uh, holiday like Thanksgiving, whatever it means for you, that we hope that if nothing else that you're able to find some space this weekend to be grateful and to cultivate an awareness of the blessing that's all around you in various parts of your life and we trust that our time together here in liturgy helps you to do that a little bit today. For those of you that I haven't met before, my name is Scott and I serve in here in our community as one of our pastors and we are delighted that you joined us to be called into these shared moments of worship that we've already enjoyed and to be invited to the table and to come back to this conversation that we are having about the sermon that Jesus preached and more on that in a second because I actually wanted to mention something quickly. There is actually always so much going on in our community. There's our weekly routines and our liturgy, our local and our global initiatives and the ways that so many of you are involved in those. And then we have things like dinners and groups and meetups at the library and special events where we all connect. But in addition to these things, we also work to be a community that grows together, where you find yourself invited further into the richness of the Christian tradition, which is what gatherings like our worship nights, which happen. Every so often, and our upcoming prayer event, which Yelena has spelled out again for you. That's what these things are built for, and they're meant to invite you into. But in addition to these kinds of events, we also love standing with you as people in our community. We love standing with you in sacramental moments, like last week, where we celebrated with a couple of families in our community as they welcomed their children into the fellowship of faith and into community. And today, we have shared at the table where we are all welcomed. And in a few weeks, we will celebrate with those in our community who will take the step of baptism. Now, it's this last one that I wanna draw a little bit of attention to this morning because baptism is an awesome practice in our tradition where people stand and they give a public declaration of their intention to live in the way of Jesus. And they speak there in that space to the gracious way that they found and they acknowledge that mercy has moved them in some mysterious way from darkness into light. And we love baptisms in our community which is why if this is something that you are curious about, maybe it's something that you've been thinking about as a next step for you. Maybe you've come to a place in your journey where you want to live into this choice you've made to follow the radically tender way of Jesus then we would love to celebrate with you in the grace of this ancient practice and we like to make these sort of invitations as publicly as possible. We've got a date coming up next month and if you're interested, we'd love to touch base with you. Just head over to commons.life. You can register there if you're interested or you can always stop by our connection center and let us know this morning before you go. Now, with that said, we are gonna jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, Yelena led us so thoughtfully through Jesus' discussion of prayer. Which, if we're honest, is a practice that I wouldn't doubt. that many of us have sort of grappled with a little bit in our lives. And this is why last fall we actually spent some time as a community working through the Lord's Prayer and you can check that out or go back to it if you're interested. The point is, is that here in this sermon, Jesus challenged his friends and people like us that have followed in this way And the heart of the challenge is aimed at our routines, the rituals that define our regular practice. And I love how Yelena teased out the nuances of Jesus' teaching here. Namely, that if we are to do anything in our practice of prayer, it's that we are to be an authentic version of ourselves. How any sort of religious posturing actually has a way of limiting prayer's capacity to shape us. And this is why, in choosing and naming, or choosing and using names for God that parallel our story, as Yelena reminded us, this is what Jesus did when he took up the words, our Father, as he began to pray. When we do this same sort of thing, we forge a meaningful and a deeply embodied trust in the divine, where in all kinds of circumstances we call on God, and we relate to God and we carry God with us on our lips and in our affection that we share and in the tears that we shed in private, finding that prayer is a practice of speaking of God and speaking to God and of naming what's going on and living through what's going on, all the while offering our words as maybe just the simplest way of reaching beyond ourselves and further into God's great love that holds us on the other side of all of our happiest moments and those moments of grief and difficulty and questioning that so cruelly take our words from us sometimes. And so I hope that you sensed an invitation to pray as Jesus taught us how to pray. And ultimately that's with courage while we also leave our self-entitlement behind us. And today we are gonna move into another familiar section of this sermon that Jesus gave, but before we do that, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me for just a moment as we center ourselves, prepare ourselves for these moments. Loving God, even as Jesus taught us to pray, we ask that your name would be made high and holy in these moments we share. And we ask that your kingdom would come that your purposes for us and in us, that those things would press up against us even as we share this time together. For those of us who are experiencing need today, maybe our needs are pressing up against us, maybe some need that we have in our body, some need that we have for provision, some need we have for stability in our mind or in some relationship that we live in, we ask in this moment that you would come and sustain that you provide for us even as Jesus taught us to pray. For those who are seeking newness today, we pray that you would be near, that you would be the guide for our steps. And for those of us who maybe today on a holiday weekend were filled with gratitude, we're reminded again to take time and space to cultivate this practice in our lives and we ask that you would go with us in this practice and that you would make us instruments of peace as our gratitude sort of unfolds in everyday life. Guide us now be our help, our light, and our surest means of transformation, we pray in the name of Christ, our hope, amen. All right, we're gonna jump right in today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter seven, where Jesus continues his sermon, and this is what he said. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and all the time you've got this piece of wood hanging off of your face? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And do not give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to swine, and if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So, what might not be clear is how this section that we've just read follows right after Jesus' earlier instructions to not worry, which, as we discussed a few weeks ago, can come off a little glib and dismissive if we don't do a little work here. I mean, really, Jesus, don't worry? followed up with a quick, don't be judgy. And in some ways, this sounds an awful lot like a story Brian Brian Regan, he's a comedian, he tells about going to his doctor. And I'm sure he exaggerated just a little bit, but Brian recounts how he goes to his physician and the physician puts him through a bit of an exam and then puts him through the subsequent emotional beating. You know what I mean? Like just tells him to lose a little weight, tells him to watch his blood pressure, tells him that he's getting a little older in case he didn't know that. So after a while, Brian's had enough, he thinks he's taken all he can, and so he gets up to go, and just as he's closing the door behind him, the doctor calls after him, oh yeah, and Brian, lay off dairy, which Brian Regan points out, as he stood there in that hallway, the doctor might as well have just said to me, and no more happiness, (laughs) because the point, is that it's so easy to hear Jesus sounding like a disgruntled preacher or like a super blunt physician like Brian Regan experienced, where Jesus is just handing out instructions and directions without any care for our experience in the world. But the truth is that a little digging here helps us to unlock some of the nuance in Jesus' teaching. And it starts off right at the top with the Greek word translated as judge here, the Greek verb krino, And this is a verb that can refer to legal proceedings and decisions, but it more literally means to separate, or to pull apart, or to choose, or to estimate, to question, or to imagine even in some cases. And this filled out understanding of this term is super important because of how this saying of Jesus has been so popularized and incorporated into our culture. See, we use proverbs like, you can't judge a book by its cover to express some of the sentiment that maybe we should be a little bit more careful with how we come to conclusions about each other. Which is, that's fair enough, right? But then of course you have the don't judge me challenge. How many of you remember this? This is a phenomenon from a couple years ago. None of you, that's great. This is a phenomenon from a couple years ago, where young online content creators, they did a before and an after comparison in a video. See, in the top clip of themselves, they would appear to have significant skin issues, and they would have overdone makeup, and they'd always have a unibrow, and they're always wearing glasses. That's the before. And then they put their hand on the screen, and then there's this transformation, and then the bottom clip comes up, and they're these beautiful, clear-skinned models without glasses. That's the after. And of course, the idea that they were playing with is that we shouldn't judge people's appearances, that underneath every seemingly unattractive person is a model waiting to be discovered. And the problem, as critics noted, is that they were so clearly mocking people with imperfect skin and dental issues and anybody who wears glasses. And the irony was lost on them, that they were contributing to a culture that mercilessly judges people by appearance and favors those who are judged attractive. The point is that our culture has run with Jesus' teaching here, and they've applied it in all kinds of different ways, including turning it into a hundred different means. And some of you may have seen or heard some of these on your Facebook. Don't judge me, I was born awesome, not perfect. You can't judge my choices without understanding my reasons, people say. Then there's, you can't judge me by my past because I don't live there anymore. And then of course, the golden oldie, don't judge me, you can't handle half of what I've been through. And you might hear hints of what Jesus' broader point was in some of these statements, in this encouragement towards gentleness for each other. And we're gonna come to that piece in a second. But the broader observation we need to make is that when Jesus says, don't judge, Jesus isn't saying something like, don't use your brain, your instinct, your sense of well-being or don't be, don't, not, yeah, don't choose to not be careful or thoughtful or incisive with your questioning of others. Just accept everybody and everyone for who they are. That's not, in fact, what Jesus seems to be saying. In fact, as scholars point out, Jesus turns and appears to say the opposite in this cryptic last line that I read to you in this sermon where Jesus tells his followers not to offer their energy and their affection, they're teaching, the valuables of this new kingdom that was starting in the world. Don't share those things with people who are like dogs or pigs, people who are gonna mistreat or dismiss or even attack you. And there's some debate as to what Jesus was getting at here. In fact, scholar Jonathan Pennington calls this the hardest verse in the entire sermon to decipher. Whether Jesus was encouraging his first followers to avoid contact with Gentiles because of their bacon eating problem or maybe offering a warning against those other different traditions in Judaism at the time because there was violence between these rival groups. The point is that yes, like the memes tell us too, we're encouraged in this sermon to not judge each other. But we're also invited to, as the Greek verb krino encourages us, to discern and to question and to engage each other. And listen, this is something we can aspire to as individuals, where our disciplines of prayer and justice-making, as, just as two examples, these can be a, simple examples of what Henry Collins calls our disciplined attentiveness in the world. And I wonder, and I just wanna call back to last week, I wonder, have you ever thought of using the Lord's Prayer as a tool to engage the world? where by asking God's kingdom to come and reminding yourself of your basic needs for bread and for forgiveness, how this kind of prayer actually calls you to attention on how to be a better partner, for example, or how to respond to your coworker or how to find direction in your career, where this spiritual practice actually helps you to judge a better way in the world. In addition to this kind of individual engagement, we can also aspire to it in being a healthy, judging community. And here at Commons, we talk a lot about this value of intellectual honesty, and at least in part, this is a reference to our commitment as a teaching team to be thoughtful and to be inquisitive and to do our homework and to engage tough questions of how to read and interpret the scriptures that we value so highly but it also refers to our intentional choice to be a community that is home to multiple opinions. In addition to sharing our commitment to kindness and civility and grace with each other, we hope that you live your life somewhat critically, using your past experiences to navigate the challenges that you face today and learning to discern which people are toxic and harmful in your story along with identifying those who respect and honor you And we always hope that by reading and exploring and practicing your faith, you find a way that might be different than even mine or the person sitting next to you. And yes, that might mean that you'll come to liturgy on Sunday and you're going to grapple with something that you hear. Sometimes that's unintentional on our part, but friends, guess what? Sometimes it's not. And I can promise you this, the longer we journey together as a community, going to dinners and getting into groups and all the conversations we have in parks and in pubs around this city, you are going to question and you are going to decipher and you are going to have to engage with somebody else's opinion. And you know what? We really do trust that this good and gracious and affectionate form of judgment, the right kind, We trust that it's good for all of us because it helps us to stretch and to learn for sure, but also it helps us to learn that to be mature is to use the minds that we have and also extend our hearts toward those who offer us their minds in kind. And we will not always agree, perhaps, but we are working towards building a community that is brave enough to allow for difference, which, I'm sure some of you realize, <clears throat> even as I said that, that this is at the heart of why Jesus said these things in the first place, because isn't it each other's differences that keeps us judging each other all the time? I mean, let's be honest. That person in your life that you fight with most or you get frustrated with all the time, you wouldn't ever doubt their intelligence or their affection if they just always did what you thought needed to be done next, right? your friend, your employee, your colleague, your partner, it doesn't matter who that person is. So while it's good to nuance what the terminology hints at in Jesus' sermon, we cannot deny that Jesus is telling people to stop being so hard on each other. And he uses this exaggerated analogy to do so. In it, Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to somebody that you care for, the text is saying, we should talk about this small issue you have, all while you're a disaster in your own right. Jesus is, is warning people. And I think most of us find this to be pretty intellectually consistent. It really makes a lot of sense. If you've got a problem with embezzling money or gambling your paychecks on horse racing, maybe you shouldn't harass your friend about carrying a balance on their credit card, right? You've got a plank hanging off your face. Lay off the person who has a little something in their eye. But, you know, there's something more here, I think, beyond our tendency to look past our own issues, which Jesus wants us to acknowledge with this teaching, for sure. See, because, as one scholar points out, in the ancient world, to look into a person's eyes was a way to discover who that person was. And at least in part, this is why in this same sermon in Matthew six, Jesus talks about how our eyes are the lamps of our bodies. And in the analogy Jesus is using here, the image is quite stark, there's two people, they're standing and they're facing each other and they're sharing an intimate gaze, a kind of staring contest. And what Jesus says in effect is why do you look at your brother's eye? this person that you know, this person that you love, and you look at them as a way of knowing them and discovering them, and all you see is fault. All you see is their weakness, this thing that holds them back. And all of a sudden, this analogy takes on new meaning because in telling us not to judge, Jesus is calling out this basic part of our human experience, how we tend to find fault and how easy that is for us. And to just go back for a second, it's not that Jesus was telling his followers not to watch for people's unhealthy patterns or motivations. No, we're supposed to perceive and we're supposed to evaluate that stuff. Instead, he's saying that person that matters to you, why is it that you pick up on this hang up they have right away? Why is that what you see when you look in their eye? Why do you focus on that? And does this not sound familiar? (laughs) Or maybe it's just for me. I mean, have you ever had a friendship that was meaningful, but that person always posts crazy stuff on Facebook? And maybe they don't reach out to you as often as you want, or maybe you have a colleague, they do a great job, they make the team better, but their outspoken political views make things a little awkward at times. And then, of course, I'm sure many of you have lived in a significant relationship where there's intimacy and there's affection and there's so much shared life, but you cannot stand the way that person talks on the phone or how they're always late or how they talk to you when they're stressed out. And what Jesus seems to be nudging us toward is this realization that fault-finding like this, it's a really shallow way to live in the world and live in relationships. Especially when, if we take stock, we realize that so often when we really look at someone and we see the speck in their eye, it's the thing that bothers us that we are called to love and care for and help that person with. Meaning that, and I wonder if you can take this and begin to imagine new outcomes in your life. Meaning that if our criticism and our judgment of others is often, it often is just underdeveloped creativity and unrealized commitment. And taken that way, Jesus' claim that those who judge are judged in return and measure, that sentence makes a whole lot more sense if we look at this, because see, when I look at you and I see your need and all I do is point it out, I inspire you to do the same. And we both find ourselves in a relationship where we're giving our energies to pointing out flaws instead of offering our strength and our creativity to help and to assist and to make each other better. And what's the solution, Jesus says? Well, I think he's saying that we should look at every person as more than the small imperfections that they have. But he's also clearly saying, deal with your own story. Your own issues, your own weakness. We can't get around the fact that Jesus seems to be saying this. And some of you have already figured this out in really profound ways. You've found that the way forward into the kinds of connections that you long for is to seek out help and guidance and clinical perspective sometimes on your own experience. And I want you to know that this is so brave and it's so rooted in the life that Jesus calls us to live sometimes. Some of you might be in a place where you are just beginning to realize, you know, I think I might have something in my eye. It might be some communication patterns you have that you haven't been able to work on, but in your professional life, they're just sort of coming to the surface and people are being all prickly around you and you're starting to wake up to it. Or maybe dealing with your kids has you uber aware of your limited self-control and emotional stability. Or maybe a connection with a friend or a partner has recently helped you to realize how you have certain tendencies that aren't the best for you and they certainly aren't the best for this person you care about. And friends, if you can see it, if you can see that thing in your eye, then you're already ahead. That's the consolation Jesus offers us. And if you are looking for some supports, then we want to be the kind of community that helps you connect with what you need to step forward. And if you're trying to take some steps forward, we want to be a community that's sensitive to all the hard work of self-awareness that might be happening for you even today. Where you might be able to discover, as Marilyn McIntyre says, that self-examination and an appetite for learning, these keep us receptive to the kinds of change we long for giving us strength to stay in the kinds of face-to-face and eye-to-eye encounters that we seek out in the world every day. Now, up, up to this point, it seems obvious that Jesus is concerned with human relationships. His instructions are aimed at getting us to be a little less harsh with each other maybe a little bit more kind. And what's interesting is how when we look at the epistle of James, which comes a little later in the Christian scriptures, early Christians seems to have applied these teachings from Jesus, these notions. When they challenged each other, to be cautious in how they were using the rules of Moses' law to judge one another. I've thrown the text up for you. And then we look a little later or another place in James and we see how the earliest Christian followers and communities, how they felt they should be more merciful because mercy ultimately trumps judgment. Or put another way, these people seem to have been discovering how mercy reveals God's character more than judgment does and that is not an insignificant conclusion. In part, this is what I keep coming back to as I sit with this text, even this last week, because in Matthew seven, Jesus says, don't judge, or you'll be judged. In and to the degree you judge others unfairly, in and to the degree you celebrate the minutiae of someone else's character flaws, in and to the degree that you nitpick and you never move past being critical, If you judge others this way, you will be judged in the same measure. And as I just said, Jesus seems to be talking about our relationships with each other, but many scholars actually see Jesus making this bigger statement about the totality of our lives, how our relationship with the divine is determined by how we treat others, how if we judge others unfairly and harshly, God will judge us the same. And I think that some of us may have internalized this in a way that isn't the best. Where we take Jesus' commands to heart and we move forward with this image of an angry God. And we end up trying to not judge others because we don't want God to be angry with us someday in the future. When in fact, it seems that Jesus might have been saying something more like this. Look, if you try to live like God's an angry judge, being harsh with those around you who aren't following the rules and being critical of those who are different and living in fear that you are not good enough or that your screw ups are somehow too big, that is gonna come back to bite you right now. It comes back to us in a life where our relationships are marked by suspicion and where we carry unnecessary anxiety about how moral we are or how good we should be and where we ultimately doubt divine acceptance because we know who we really are and we disqualify ourselves from the love of God. And in doing this, we forget that Jesus actually came and told us a different story about God. Not one in which we end up at the end of our lives and we experience God as a finicky judge that can't get past our hang ups. Jesus came and told us not a story about God being a stickler of a judge who holds us accountable for one statement or one moment or one poor choice. No, that kind of judge actually sounds an awful lot like me. I'm exacting, I'm unfair, I'm ruthless when I spot others' differences and weaknesses and I point them out. And I despise the ways that people are different than me. And Jesus came and gave me a new metaphor. Time and time again, he treats people, and he restores relationship, and he hangs out with the religious types, and he blesses the anti-religious types, and he does all of this, and he shows us that judgment isn't the way the world is made new. No. Mercy is. It has to be where your mistakes and mine and others, they are seen and they are known. And yes, there's consequences for so many of them. But that whatever happens at the end of all things, no one, and I do mean no one, will find themselves judged by a God who looks at them and only sees their mistakes. Only sees the speck in their eye. Now, instead in Jesus, we see this image of a God who welcomes and heals and transforms and forgives without reservation. A God who lives humbly in the forgotten places of every city and every neighborhood and every home. A God who invites us to share this image as we work for it in the world, ultimately longing for a community where mercy is the goal, not moral correctness at all costs. So, As you join this work this week, may God give you sharpness of mind to engage and evaluate everything that's going on and give you wisdom to work with it. Helping you to live critically and courageously in the world and offering your mind and your affection to those you journey beside. And may you find courage and learn to look at others, really look at them, and see more than their flaws and their mistakes and choose self-awareness as your spiritual discipline in all of its inconvenience, yes, but also for all of the ways that it teaches you to see and know God's tender work in you. And may your image of God as a petty judge, may that fade this week, finding that as it does, your need to judge others goes with it, and in its place, May you find a love for all that mirrors what we see so beautifully in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are present to your tender work in us, even now. Even as these words of an ancient text, they wash over us. And even as we allow them to pick us up and we sort of wrestle with them, And ultimately we do that so that we come to know your great goodness and so that our hearts are steered more to the way that you long for us to live in. And I realize today that we all sit here in a myriad of different places with a ton of different perspectives on what we've just heard. But God, I ask that you would help us all to live with courage, to use the mind and the intellect you've given us to judge properly in the world for others, sakes, yes, and also for our own protection, for the sake of boundaries and healthiness in our own lives, and I pray that you'd help some of us to see that today. I think we can all stand to take a step towards those who are close to us and to choose to really look at each other and to look past the specks that we all have and to honor one another with this affection that you fill us with. And I ask that as we carry this work out that our image of you as a really finicky judge, calloused and hard, that this image would fade as we see your kindness for us in Christ. And as we take up the work of extending that kindness to each other and beyond, we ask these things in the name of Christ, our hope. Amen.